Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of the Jadava Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valliere. Let's get right into it. Big day for the NFL uh, in the new CBA proposal, CBA Collective Bargaining Agreement in football. A uh, lot of new things coming up. Uh, now, let me start with this. Um, I Well, first of all, for any of you who have taken the Enneagram, and anyone that knows me well knows that I am a Enneagram type 6, and I am the most paranoid, most um, just concerned and skeptical type of type 6 on the Enneagram. And uh, one of my biggest uh, traits about being that is that I am super, super uh, uncomfortable with change. I've always been like that. I've moved five or so times in my life, and I have always found a hard time uh, trying to adapt quickly and adapt without being super stressed out about my environment, su uh, such as college. You know, it took me a while to make friends. It took me a while to get comfortable with the city of Lynchburg. Um, when change comes, there is always a sense of uneasiness with a lot of people, but for me especially. Uh, and even when I watch sports, when a team changes their logo, it usually takes me a while for me to understand why they do that, uh, and for me to get used to the, a team looking that way. I think the Browns and the Falcons are both changing their uh, uniforms, uh, not their logos, but their uniforms uh, during this offseason. So for this new CBA, is presenting a lot more change um, than I'm used to. Uh, I'm not really used to the NFL or really sports in general changing that much. I know baseball is changing a little bit. They have uh, umpires will now be able to announce um certain calls to the crowd, sort of like the NFL referees do. Umpires will have that ability now. And, um, you know, just a lot of other things like they're trying to increase the playoffs in Major League Baseball, um, get more wild card teams in there, sort of boost revenue with selling ticket prices, selling uh, postseason merchandise. I get it. I get all that stuff, right? With the NFL, there are a few big things that are different that they are trying this year that I'm not necessarily used to. The first being that now the seventh seed in both conferences, both the AFC and NFC, uh, will make the playoffs uh, from here on out starting this year, which means that if this rule were implemented last year, uh, Devlin Hodges and the Steelers, along with Jared Goff and the Rams, would have both made the playoffs. Um, Steelers went 8-8. Eight and eight. Rams went 9-7. and seven. They would have both qualified had last year or this year's rules factored in last year. Um, so there's the seventh seed gets in. So now there will be six games uh, on Wild Card Weekend. I assume three on Saturday, three on Sunday. What it, How it used to be was there on Saturday there'd be a 4.30 game uh, for those getting off work, and then there'd be a night game. And then on Sundays it'd be a 1 o'clock game and a 4 o'clock game so that you can have the night free. I assume now there will be a 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 8 o'clock game for both the Saturday and Sunday spots uh, for the wild card weekend. Um, this was the big one for me, and I think this will really affect a lot of teams, uh, and this the presence of this rule will really be felt, is that the one seed will be the only team in each conference that will earn a first-round bye. Um, so that means this year the Chiefs, for instance, would not have gotten a first-round bye um, if they had had this role a year ago, uh, and who knows if that changes things. Who knows if they don't win the Super Bowl this year or, or still do. I don't know. Um, so now there will be – so I was trying to think of ways this would work. So it was, so if there's six games, right, 
that means there's 12 teams playing, and there'll be six winners. So the three winners from those, so two of the winners will play each other from Wild Card Weekend, and the other winner at Wild Card Weekend, probably the lower seed, will end up playing the one seed, which will give the one seed who has a week uh, off to sort of prepare to um, propel themselves, have an easier road to the conference championship because they'll have to play um, maybe even the seventh seed team. Um, so, uh, and then of course, from there on out, four teams make it into the conference championship, two teams to the Super Bowl, one team wins the way football's always been played. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it at first. I thought, okay, there's going to be maybe an extra, uh, week of the playoffs. If there's going to be six games on wildcard weekend, but I ended up just figuring out that that's not going to be the case. And the biggest one or excuse me, the second biggest one, because I thought the playoffs were the biggest one, the proposal of a 17-game schedule. Now, the NFL's been talking about this for years, trying to get them to be more games, trying to have uh, more weeks in the NFL season uh, to decide things. So now there would be 17 games, so I assume there would be an 18-week schedule in the NFL. Each team gets one bye um, and the preseason, thank the Lord, is being shortened from four to three, although I don't think it'll be good enough until they shorten the preseason down to one or fewer games because uh, the preseason is mostly um, just not helpful uh, in any way because the amount of star players, I think of Jordy Nelson in 2015, uh, tearing his ACL in the preseason and never playing that season. Um, you know, guys who just would be very helpful for their team not not being able to play at all because of the of a meaningless preseason game. So the fewer preseason games, the better. With a 17-game schedule, there's been a lot of theories as to how this would work. Uh, and I've heard uh, people on TV talking about, oh, well, maybe uh, one of these 17 games, you just have all the starters sit. Um, just don't play the starters for one game. Have a team, especially a playoff-bound team, figure out what it's like to uh, use your depth as opposed to um, starting all 17 games. So Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees, like not having those guys, being able to depend those guys for 17 games, um, which I don't know. I have a couple of ideas if I were to do this first. My first idea would sort of be like maybe use week one to be kind of like a preseason game, like start your uh, starters for a little bit, maybe a quarter, quarter and a half, maybe a half, and then put the backups in and see if your backups can win you the game because games will just become slightly less important if you add one more, uh, one more game. And, uh, that's, so then the starters start all the next 16 weeks, whatever. Uh, my second thing is do the 17 games, have a bye week at some point in the season. No, no bye weeks in the first five or six weeks. Everybody plays for five or six straight weeks to open the season. And then the bye weeks start, um, and then uh, instead of a bye week between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, maybe move that in between um, week 18, I guess it would be, and the wild card game, games. Now, uh, the reason why that might be a problem is because then the first seed would have two weeks off, um, which could either be looked at as a blessing or a curse. You know, some teams like the rest, some teams don't. Um, you know, some teams fail when they bench their players for more than a couple of weeks. They're very rusty. Um, they're very slow. Uh, the game has slowed down for them because they haven't played in a while. They haven't played up to NFL speed in a while, so maybe that would be a problem. 
Um, and then people are like, well, if there's only a week between the conference championship and the Super Bowl, you know, yeah, wh what are they going to do with the Pro Bowl? Do whatever you want with the Pro Bowl. Get rid of it altogether if you want to move the Pro Bowl to after the Super Bowl like it used to be. And I think everybody's happy, right? So my opinion about these new CBA, I like it. I like the 17 games. As a, as a football fan, you really get cheated out of four weeks of good football in the preseason. Um, because it's it's like it's teasing you. It's basically saying like, hey, football's coming, but not yet. Uh, real football's coming. The quicker we can get real football, I think, is always a positive. Um, so, And the longer we have it is always a positive. And it, it works for everybody. Fans love it. Fans uh, will watch every game. You know, fans will be outraged by this, but they'll still watch all 17 weeks and all six wild card games. Uh, the league makes more money. Everybody wins, I think, in a 17-game schedule, even though there are people out there like, oh, you know, players are going to be tired, you know. Players by week 18, week 17 are going to be exhausted. Then they got to play a wild card game. Now, if you're a number two seed, you got to play all four weeks. Yeah, winning a Super Bowl is hard. No one ever said it would be easy. No one ever said that... When you win a Super Bowl, oh, it was such an easy road. We, we, we barely played down the stretch because we had bye weeks everywhere and we played all these bad... No, it's supposed to be difficult. It's no cakewalk to winning a championship. Ask the Chiefs, down 24 nothing in the divisional round, down by 10 in the AFC Championship game, and down by 10 late in the fourth quarter against San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Ask them if there was a hard road to the Super Bowl. It's supposed to be that way, right? So my opinion, I like it. I like more teams getting in, although... That probably means that the Cowboys will get in more. I guess this news is best for Cowboys fans because they'll be hovering around 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven as long as Dak is there. Um, so this is great news for teams like the Cowboys. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's my thought. Real quick thoughts on the CBA. I think it's a good idea. I think it can work, and I think fans will eventually grow to like it. Because uh, change in sports, look, football, the NFL season used to be 14-game schedule. Um, and then they decided, well, we'd like to make a little bit more money and add two games to up the drama. And there you go. They upped the drama. Now if they add another game, which they will, they're proposing this, but there's no way that this won't get passed on. This is going to happen next year. We're going to see 17 games. We're going to see guys like Patrick Mahomes throw for over 5,500 yards eventually, closing in on 6,000. The league wants big numbers. The league wants for you to break all the records. Records are meant to be broken, and they're adding games now, and they're upping the ante to make quarterbacks uh, the star of the show. They've been doing this for about 15 years now, 20 years, where they want the quarterbacks to be the stars. And these are just more rules, I think, that'll help them. More passing yards, more glitz and glamour, more games to show their stuff. I think this is a great idea for every team involved. And, um, and if you don't like it, I truly believe that it'll eventually grow on you. So let's move to something else. Uh, Drew Brees. Hall of Famer to be for the New Orleans Saints is coming back for 20th season. He announced on Instagram a couple of days ago that he is coming back. He's the NFL's all-time leader in completions, passing yards, and touchdowns. Has the highest career single season and single game completion percentage. Set the single game record this past year on Monday night against Indianapolis. Uh, he has the most completions in a season and in a career, but in a season. And uh, he has led the league in yards seven times, and no one else has done it more than five times. Uh, so Drew Brees is a walking record book. He has every passing record you can think of. And in my lifetime, 
when I think of the greatest regular season quarterback, everyone's sexy pick for best regular season quarterback is always Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's got the stats. Peyton Manning played lights out into his late 30s, and Peyton Manning went to more Super Bowls than Drew Brees, but that's postseason, like I said. You know, if you're talking to me, in my opinion, who's the best regular season quarterback you've ever seen? It's got to be Drew Brees. I put Brees over Peyton. I put Brees over Brady. Now, will I one day put Brees over Mahomes? Probably not, because Mahomes, in my personal opinion, is going to end up becoming the best ever. Um, but there's still a long way to go for that. Just listen to some of these stats that I pulled up for Drew Brees. And, and you know, people forget about Drew Brees. I just want to remind you. There have been 11 5,000-yard seasons in NFL history. Once in, by Dan Marino in 84... Then Matthew Stafford did it in 2011. Then in 2013, Peyton Manning did it. 2018, it was Big Ben and Mahomes. And then this past season, Jameis Winston. So that means there's five left. All five of those belong to Drew Brees. Nobody else has done it more than once. Drew Brees has done it five times. I know stats aren't everything, but 5,000 yards in a season, I mean, wow. And for the longest time... Drew Brees had the single-season passing record until Peyton Manning beat it by a yard. So Drew Brees could even have the single-season passing yards record as well if it weren't for Peyton Manning in 2013, throwing for one more yard. I mean, Brees basically has that record. Drew Brees has thrown 30-plus touchdowns 10 times. Tom Brady did it not, uh, seven times. Peyton Manning did it nine times, Brett Favre did it nine times, Aaron Rodgers did it six times, Dan Marino did it four times, Drew Brees has done it ten times, and he's still kicking, entering his early 40s. He's the most accurate thrower of the football I've ever seen. He's a small guy. He's hovering around six feet, which back in the day when he was drafted in 2001 by San Diego, it was often taboo for quarterbacks to be that short. You know, you thought in many ways, okay, you have to be 6'2 or taller to be a successful quarterback. You got to see over the line. You got to see your receivers downfield, this and that. You got to, you just got to be big. You know, quarterbacks used to be big, but Drew Brees comes in, shorter guy, uh, can't see the field as well. Uh, by the way, that's a myth, right? If you're taller, you can see the field better. Just ask six foot seven Brock Osweiler, who used to get his passes tipped like a madman if height really matters in the NFL at quarterback. Drew Brees paved the way for guys like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is successful because Drew Brees exists. Kyler Murray has a chance to become successful because Drew Brees exists. Sub-six-feet quarterbacks can happen. Doug Flutie, because guys like Drew Brees. Now, Doug Flutie succeeded before Drew Brees, but we look at Doug Flutie a little bit less. We used to call him the short quarterback. Now he's just Doug Flutie. Because quarterbacks can be his height and be successful in the NFL now. And Drew Brees proved that because now he's the NFL leader in passing yards and passing touchdowns. He paved the way for that. Most 30-plus touchdown seasons. Most 5,000-yard seasons by a country mile. Most passing yards by about a season's worth. Most touchdowns by like six or seven. I'd have to look it up. So Drew Brees, in case you have forgotten, is great. But we had the era of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. When Drew Brees came to New Orleans in 2006, Peyton Manning that season won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady had already won three Super Bowls. Those guys were setting all types of single-season passing records, winning MVPs left and right, and having spectacular seasons, playing for franchises that they made glamorous, the Colts and the Patriots. They weren't glamorous franchises until both of those guys showed up. And the Saints weren't a glorious franchise. 
a glamorous franchise until Drew Brees came up. They were the worst franchise in the NFL. Never won a playoff or never won a, a Super Bowl, never got to a Super Bowl before Drew Brees showed up and Hurricane Katrina had just happened. They were a very unproven franchise when Drew Brees showed up and Sean Payton showed up. And he came in, and in his fourth season, they won a Super Bowl. He was Super Bowl MVP. But he played in an era where Brett Favre was sort of picking up steam towards the end of his career. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were in their physical primes and t- statistical primes. And then as soon as Favre got out, then in comes Aaron Rodgers. And when Drew Brees is getting hot towards the end of his career, in comes Patrick Mahomes. Drew Brees has always been one-upped, it feels like, by up-and-coming players or all-time great players. Drew Brees has, there's never been a better regular season quarterback than Drew Brees. I mean, when you have a guy throw for 30 touchdowns, at at least 30 touchdowns, 10 different times, and 5,000 yards five different times, it's hard to argue guys like Peyton Manning, who did throw for 55 touchdowns once, which no one else has ever done. Um, Guys like that have really just prevented Drew Brees from being looked at for what he really is, which is an all-time great quarterback, arguably the best regular season quarterback we've ever seen. Now, the playoff success does not show because he's only got one Super Bowl, but, um, you know, you really think about what could have been. You know, he's 1-0 in Super Bowls. Peyton Manning was 2-2 two two in Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers was 1-0 in Super Bowls. Those guys went to it more, like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and even Brett Favre went to a couple Super Bowls. If Drew Brees went to more, even if he went to one another one and lost it, we would look at Drew Brees a whole lot differently than we would have. Had, had he only been to one, which he has been. So what a lot of people are thinking is, okay, Drew Brees is back, and I'm hearing people say, oh, the Saints are going back to the Super Bowl. Oh, the Saints are going to play next year. Let's pump the brakes here. Look at who's in their way. Kansas City, Green Bay, Seattle, San Francisco, New England, Philadelphia, even maybe Dallas. I know Dallas is, you know, they've got their postseason gripes, but Look at all these teams, even in the NFC, that might prevent the Saints from even going to the Super Bowl. And plus, they have had heartbreaking moments the past few postseasons. The Minneapolis miracle against the the Vikings. Last year, the blown call against the Rams at home. This year, losing to Kirk Cousins in overtime. Plus, Drew Brees ain't getting any younger. Only one quarterback, 40-plus, has ever won a Super Bowl, and he's 41. Now, granted, that was just a couple years ago with Tom Brady, or that was last year, excuse me. So it can be done, but the odds, I think, of us seeing Drew Brees back in the Super Bowl next year are even lower than they were this year when they were the best team. They could even go 13-3. and three. They've gone 13-3 and three the last two years. They've been spectacular. Regular season champs in back-to-back seasons. Every year we're like, oh my gosh, the Saints are the best. They're going to win another Super Bowl and get Brees his first ever MVP. Great. And then the postseason comes around and he just turns into a completely different player. That's not his fault. Listen, Drew Brees' teammates certainly have a hand in that in the in the postseason. But Drew Brees has had his gripes these last two years. Has only won one out of three playoff games last two years. Three interceptions in three games. Now, that's not a lot, but that's kind of uncharacteristic of Drew Brees, you know, to throw three interceptions in three games. Usually he'll go three games without even coming close to throwing one. So that's a problem. The turnovers need to stop in the postseason if they want to have a shot. 
and getting back to another Super Bowl. So, um, with all of this news about Drew Brees, obviously this likely means that his backup of the last couple of years, Teddy Bridgewater, is likely on his way out of New Orleans. And I've been seeing a lot of reports, a lot of mock free agency types of things um, that are sort of projecting Teddy Bridgewater to go sign like a four-year deal uh, with a team to be their starting quarterback. I've seen it. Teddy Bridgewater to the Chargers. Teddy Bridgewater to the Raiders. Teddy Bridgewater to the Colts. Maybe even to Jacksonville. We'll see what they do there. Okay. Let's just pump the brakes for a second on Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is a fine player. He's a good player. He's not great. He There's a reason why when he got healthy in Minnesota, they started Case Keenum over him. Because Teddy Bridgewater is a game, he's, he's Alex Smith. He's a poor man's Alex Smith, if that. Because he's basically checked down Charlie whenever you get him in a game. How many, he's got very limited arm strength. He's small. He's not very muscular. He, he can move around in the pocket, but not a ton. And he's not overly productive. He's hinged on being a member of some pretty good teams. When he's been in the NFL, he's thrown 38 touchdown passes in 34 starts. His only season, his only Pro Bowl season in 2015, he threw 14 touchdown passes to nine interceptions. Yeah, that's not what I'm looking for in my quarterback. Now, the Vikings that year went 11-5, and and Teddy Bridgewater got to play with the fifth-ranked defense in the NFL. But you look at him, he's... He doesn't have a very strong arm. He's mobile-ish, but a little less mobile after that horrific knee injury. And he's small. He's not short, but he's not big. He doesn't have strong legs, it looks like, especially now. And it doesn't look like he has a particularly strong right arm. You know, this year, yeah, he put up some good stats. He also had the league's leading receiver in Michael Thomas to throw the football to. So... If I'm the, if the L.A. Chargers or I'm the Indianapolis Colts and I say, here you go, Teddy Bridgewater, here's four years, $90 million. If I'm Teddy, of course, I take that. But listen, as a Redskins fan with an unproven young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins, if my team had any interest in Teddy Bridgewater, I'd be like, whoa, guys, let's pump the brakes. He's been benched. Okay. He couldn't beat out Case Keenum for a starting job on a 13-3 and team. And he's been a backup for the majority. He's either been a backup or just not playing for the majority of the last four years. Let's pump the brakes on Teddy Bridgewater as he approaches the age of 30. If we really want to hand out $90 million to a backup caliber quarterback. I compare this situation, quite honestly, to... Uh, the Nick Foles situation in Jacksonville last year. Nick Foles had just won a Super Bowl. Now, Nick Foles is a much more accomplished player than Teddy Bridgewater, but Nick Foles was never going to change a franchise. Nick Foles has had two different stints with the Eagles. He's been wildly successful in both of those stints. Everywhere else, he's been incredibly average to below average as a quarterback. Because he's got lead feet, he's got 
kind of a touch-and-go accuracy to him. And he'll throw some boneheaded picks if he's not coached up. When he was coached up by guys like Chip Kelly and Doug Peterson, Nick Foles was outstanding. Won a Super Bowl. Went to a Pro Bowl. Had MVP votes. But when he had guys like Jeff Fisher and this past season Doug Barone, he can't elevate those guys. That's why he only lasted four starts with the Jaguars before they benched him for a six-round rookie. In St. Louis, when he was with the Rams under Jeff Fisher, he got benched in favor of Case Keenum. In Kansas City, he was a backup to Alex Smith. That's Nick Foles. There's only one place that he's been successful, and that's Philadelphia. You take him anywhere else, you're just not going to find that Foles magic. It only works in one place. In, situ- in certain situations, Nick Foles was brilliant. I think in certain situations, you can get a lot out of Teddy Bridgewater. You put him on a great team with a great defense, like that one year in Minnesota. You put him on a team like this past season, where they have a great offensive line, a dominant running game, the number one receiver, and really solid tight ends in Jared Cook and Josh Hill. Then, yeah, you're going to find success if you're Teddy Bridgewater. But if you're putting him on a Colts team, excuse me, not a Colts team, the Colts are pretty good. If you put him on the Jaguars, if you put Teddy Bridgewater on the Jaguars, that team is at best 7-9. and nine. And Teddy Bridgewater is going to be at risk of getting benched towards the end of the season because he's not giving you that much. So, listen, if you're a fan of a team that's interested in Teddy Bridgewater, you can have him. He's okay. He's competent. He won't throw a lot of boneheaded interceptions, but he will have a lot of 26 for 40 for 207 yards and zero touchdowns types of games for you because that's the type of quarterback he is. He's not good enough to elevate you. You need a perfect environment around him if you want to have a chance to win and be successful if your quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater. All right, let's talk about the other Saints quarterback. A lot of of Saints early on here. Uh, There was a report last week, although it really was a couple weeks ago, right around the time of the Super Bowl, that this story sort of grew feet about Taysom Hill, uh, who's sort of been like a gadget player for the Saints the last two seasons, last couple of years. Um, Taysom Hill basically said, I want to be a quarterback, and that's all I really want to be. You know, if you if you want, if the Saints want me to come back and be a gadget player and don't really have any real aspirations for me to be their future starting quarterback, then I want to leave and join a team where I can be a starting quarterback or a legitimate quarterback. Okay. I'm paraphrasing, but I I have a lot of issues with what Taysom Hill said right there. First of all, Taysom Hill has thrown the ball 13 times in his regular season pro football career. 13 times. Uh, and he's about to be a 30-year-old player. He's only thrown 13 passes entering his age 30 season. 22 catches, 64 rushes, 15 kick returns, one punt return, and he blocks on special teams occasionally, and sometimes he's out to pass block on offense. In his career, he is 6 for 13 with an interception, no touchdowns. He's about to be 30. He's never started an NFL game. And in Taysom Hill expects to be the heir apparent to the NFL's all-time leading passer, Drew Brees? It makes zero, zero sense. 
for Taysom Hill to demand anything more than being where he is, a gadget player, because that's what he is. And you add on to that, when you look at his statistics in five seasons at BYU, they're really not that impressive. His his best season, or the most games he played, he played a 13-game season in 2013, completed just under 54% of his passes, averaged 6.7 yards an attempt, 19 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Is that good? Because I don't think that's very good. In his career, completion percentage at 58.2, 6.6 yards per attempt, 43 touchdowns, 31 interceptions in five seasons at BYU. Now, college football is where star quarterbacks thrive. You see guys throw stuff like 50 touchdowns to only nine interceptions, completion percentage in the high 60s, early 70s, They have, and they're really successful. And you think, okay, those guys could be really good NFL players. But Taysom Hill, he doesn't have a good track record in college that would make you think, oh, I really want that guy to be my replacement plan for Drew Brees. No, that's not what, not even close. So, and plus, not to mention, he's entry prone. Four years in college, four, four full seasons in college, four season-ending injuries. His first, 2013, knee injury, ended his season. Uh, 2014, fractured leg, ended his season. 2015, foot injury, ended his season. 2016, hyperextended elbow, ended his season. I mean, he's brittle, he's not a good thrower, and he's used to block and return kicks. So... If When Drew Brees hangs it up one day, it might even be after this season, and Sean Payton looks at Taysom Hill and goes, I really want that guy to be my starting quarterback, even though in the NFL he's gone 6-13 of with an interception. He's never made a start. He's got 15 career kickoff returns, one punt return, uh, has got caught 22 passes in the regular season. Who knows how many more in the playoffs. I could probably look that up, but I, you know, it's my show, and I do whatever I want. Um, look, if Sean Payton thinks that, Great. That's that's awesome. But um, if that's really where he wants to go, then the Saints are going to plummet following Drew Brees' retirement. He's only successful because of Drew Brees, keep in mind, Taysom Hill. The unexpectancy factor works really well for Taysom Hill. He's thrown in on once-in-a-while plays. And there's not a lot of tape on him because he does five, six different things. So it allows him to be, because he's not the centerpiece of any offense. Many announcers call him the Swiss Army Knife. You know when he's on the field because announcers can't stop talking about him whenever he's on the field. So that's why he's successful, because he has Drew Brees to throw him the ball, to hand off the ball to him. He's He can be used as a decoy sometimes, and that'll get Michael Thomas and guys like him and Jared Cook open. That's why Taysom Hill's successful. He's not successful because he's uberly talented. Quarterbacks catch passes all the time. He just catches them more often, so he's probably a little bit better at it than most quarterbacks because he has a little bit more experience. So, listen, if I'm the Saints and I'm looking at Taysom Hill, I'm thinking this is a 30-year-old quarterback who's been known as a gadget player, has never started a game at quarterback or in the NFL in general, and... He has a long history of injuries in many different places on his body. Yep, that's who I want. That's my quarterback. Yeah, right.
<clears throat> so that's my Taysom Hill, you know, rant. I, I just don't get him. I don't think he is famous enough or entitled enough to make such claims that he deserve, deserves to be somebody's starting quarterback. I think that's bonkers that he would even do that. Another big story around the NFL these days, and what else is new? If you own a TV, if you own anything, it's Tom Brady. Um, entering year 21, uh, spent the previous 20 seasons all with the New England Patriots. Um, here's my thing. This has gotten a lot of a lot of attention, this story, the Tom Brady free agency. This is oh, this is Michael Jordan at the end of his prime in terms of the NFL. I've heard all of it. Here's what I'm saying. Whichever team signs Tom Brady, 43-year-old Tom Brady, likely to a multi-year deal, is making the biggest mistake in the history of them owning that franchise. I'm looking at Mark Davis of the Raiders. I'm looking at Dean Spanos of the Chargers. And I'm looking at Jim Irsay of the Colts. And I'm looking at the Chicago Bears organization, and I'm saying, is this really who you want? Washed up, immobile, 43-year-old Tom Brady? Listen, he's 43, like I said, he's immobile. He's, his arm strength is diminishing each season. And for franchises that look like they're in win-now mode, like the Colts and the Bears, and you could even make an argument for the Chargers being in win-now mode because last year they made it to the divisional round, had big Super Bowl aspirations. The Colts, if they had had a quarterback this year, would have been in the playoffs. The Bears, had they had a quarterback, would have been in the playoffs. And you you want, I, I get it, Tom Brady's got six rings, six Super Bowls, most playoff wins ever, he's the, he's the GOAT, whatever. Okay? Tom Brady, this season, dropped off worse than I thought Tom Brady would drop off. Now, I look, I always look at Tom Brady for what he is. He's Alex. He's a glorified Alex Smith. That's my second Alex Smith reference of this show, and it may or may not be the last. Tom Brady had his worst completion percentage since 2013, which also happened to be uh, tied for the third worst completion percentage in a season in his career. Um, Tom Brady went 12-4. and four. Didn't win a playoff game uh, in a single postseason for the first time since 2010. He had been to the AFC Championship every year from 2011 to 2018. And all of a sudden, 2019, he can't beat the Titans at home. Ryan Tannehill at home. Um, in that game, 20 of 37, 209 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception against Tennessee in your stadium and you're about to be 43 years old, is this really who you want? You're not getting six-ring Super Bowl, Tom Brady. You're getting elderly, very close to the end, Tom Brady, a guy who's already linked his entire career with one organization and won six championships with one organization. Here's what I'll say. If the Patriots re-sign Tom Brady, I get it. The only quarterback they have behind him is Jarrett Stidham. The Patriots, I, st I think the Patriots would be making a huge mistake 
if they re-signed Tom Brady because I think their championship window has closed every year that has passed. Now, they had an outlier last season and won the Super Bowl against the Rams, but they had an incredible defense, and Tom Brady that postseason threw more interceptions than touchdowns, so they almost won that season in spite of Tom Brady. Oh, you don't believe me. He threw two touchdowns to three interceptions and uh, averaged about seven and a half yards an attempt. Look, and he should have thrown a fourth interception if D. Ford wasn't offsides in the AFC Championship game last year. That's another story for another time. Uh, but and, and, and if that offsides doesn't happen, then Tom Brady doesn't play in another Super Bowl. Um, that's what I'm saying. Tom Brady got lucky, lucked into winning last year's Super Bowl, his sixth ring, and if D. Ford wasn't offsides, that's three straight seasons where they haven't won the Super Bowl. Now, I know that's a big if, but bear, you understand what I'm saying. Tom Brady has skated on luck for the majority of his career, and a lot of it has been because of what the Patriots do. The tuck rule uh, in his first full season as a starter. Spygate in 2007, where they went almost, where they went 18-1 and and lost in the Super Bowl. That's not a ring, but the second ring, the one he had against the Carolina Panthers, Tom Brady uh, lucked into it because John Casey, the old Panthers kicker, kicked the ball out of bounds towards the end of the game, and the Patriots started their game-winning drive at the 40-yard line. So that's a little bit lucky. Plus, in 2007, when he... Uh, went to the Super Bowl, and they had that undefeated season. They almost didn't even get to the Super Bowl. They almost lost to the Chargers in the AFC Championship because Tom Brady threw an interception to the Chargers that was subsequently fumbled away on the very same play, and Tom Brady was able to keep possession. That interception stays an interception. The Chargers win that game. But Tom Brady, of course, even his interceptions stay don't become turnovers. <sighs> What I'm saying is, Tom Brady, at this old age, at 43, do you really think, with the Patriots who don't have any talent on offense, with other teams that don't have the rapport with Tom Brady like Bill Belichick has, do you really expect those guys to win a Super Bowl for Tom Brady. Do you really expect those guys to be the right guys for Tom Brady to win another championship, even at age 43? An immobile quarterback. We have moved into an era of quarterback that is so athletic. All the best athletes in America are, court, are playing quarterback these days. Look at Cam Newton. Look at Russell Wilson. Look at Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's a, a great athlete. I've mentioned him a couple of times in this episode. You know, look at Mahomes. Even... Pocket passers like Mahomes and even Aaron Rodgers, those guys can escape the pocket, throw on the run, and make extremely accurate throws while moving to the opposite side of the field. That's the era of the NFL that we're in right now, much more athletic, much more mobile. Tom Brady is still stuck in the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers type of style, where those guys, literally it feels like their feet are cemented into the grass. Tom Brady is still in that. If you want to move progressive, all of those guys have much more mobile quarterbacks. Except for the, well, technically the Chargers do. 
uh, the incumbent Tyrod Taylor. Colts have Jacoby Brissett. He's more athletic than Tom Brady. The Bears have Mitchell Trubisky. He's more athletic than Tom Brady, although you know, you could argue Tom Brady would probably be an upgrade on Brissett and Trubisky and Tyrod Taylor. I'm just saying with the money, with where you would probably want your franchise to be, I'm saying signing Tom Brady. If Tom Brady leaves New England, whoever signs him I think is making a big, big mistake. That's my opinion. And speaking of mistakes, let's move into another quarterback that I've been critical of. Uh, my former quarterback, Kirk Cousins, is entering the last year of his contract with the Vikings. Signed a three-year, $84 million, fully guaranteed contract uh, shortly before the 2018 season. Uh, the Vikings have won just one playoff game in two seasons with Kirk Cousins. Uh, but first of all, I like Kirk Cousins. Spent six seasons playing for my team, the Redskins, and I liked him. Took us to the playoffs. We won a division with Kirk Cousins. We won at least eight games with him, or we won at least seven games with him, three straight seasons, which is just rare competency for the Redskins. And he threw for 4,000 yards and 25-plus touchdowns in three straight seasons. We had never seen a quarterback in the history of our franchise do that. So I liked Kirk Cousins. But there was a time to move on, to attempt to upgrade. I've heard Colin Cowherd on FS1, that's Fox Sports 1, The Herd, uh, say something like this um, in the past about settling on quarterbacks. When you settle on a quarterback for long enough, you waste a lot of players' primes. The Chiefs, for the longest time, were settling on Alex Smith. And guess what? The Chiefs got to the divisional round of the playoffs. They never really threatened to make a conference championship with Alex Smith because he's a B-minus type of quarterback at best. On his best day, Alex Smith is a B-minus to a B quarterback. So the Chiefs realize that. They say, you know what? We're good right now. We're a great team with Alex Smith, but we really want to win a Super Bowl. We're going to go draft our new franchise quarterback, and boom, they get Patrick Mahomes. The Texans went out and signed Brock Osweiler. And Brock Osweiler won them a division, won them a playoff game, and had them leading in an attempt to take them to their first ever AFC championship game against the Patriots back in 2016. But no, he, they weren't fooling anybody. No one looked at the Texans and thought, we really need to game plan for Brock Osweiler. No. They said, the Texans said, we need a game changer at the position. We need a franchise-level guy who can lead us to a championship. And they went out and got Deshaun Watson, and they're back-to-back division champs. And Deshaun Watson has had Pro Bowl seasons the last two seasons, and they were up 24-0 with a chance to go back to, to go to their first-ever AFC championship game with Deshaun Watson until Patrick Mahomes happened. Listen, and the, the Ravens did the same thing for the longest time, settled on Joe Flacco. Flacco even won them a Super Bowl, but for these last few years, you could tell the Ravens aren't going to threaten to even make an AFC championship with Joe Flacco. They had to do something. So they went out and got Lamar Jackson, and he just won MVP. So they have their guy. The Chiefs, the Texans, and the Ravens all refused to settle at quarterback, and guess what? They got better. Now, the outlier here is... 
it really wasn't the Redskins who got better after this. It was the Vikings. The Vikings chose not to settle on Case Keenum. They went out and got Kirk Cousins, and they were, you know, their offense was better. Um, but Case Keenum took him to an NFC Championship game. They were leading 7-0 in that game with a shot to go to the Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins comes in. They haven't been back to the conference championship in two years since. So the Redskins looked at Kirk Cousins and thought, okay, here's a guy that's 17-27-2 on the road. Here's a guy who's 0-9 on Monday night football. Here's a guy who's 2-5 on Thursday night football. Here's a guy who's 11-25 in games that aren't at 1 o'clock. Here's a guy who, in his own territory, 20 touchdowns, 47 interceptions in his career. Inside his own 20, two touchdowns, 13 interceptions in his career. Here's a guy who, in the second half, his completion percentage, passing yards, and passer rating all go down, and interceptions go up. Here's a guy who has never won a playoff game for this franchise. And we haven't made the playoffs in back-to-back years. We keep franchise tagging him to see what we got in him, and he hasn't given us much. We have to go in a different direction. And that's why when the Redskins let go of Kirk Cousins and originally traded for Alex Smith, I thought, that's a good move. We're not going anywhere with Kirk Cousins. We're, we're a solid 8-8. Eight and eight. We, we hover around 8-8 eight and eight every year. Kirk Cousins puts up big numbers, borderline Pro Bowl player. Can we, do we want that, or do we want to aim higher than that? I think Dan Snyder wants to aim a little bit higher than that. So... If I'm the Vikings, as we enter the 2020 draft, a lot of great quarterbacks. There's Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavaloa, there's Justin Herbert, but there's guys in the later rounds like Jake Fromm. If you truly believe that this roster that you've put together, Rick Spielman, is good enough to win a Super Bowl, you need to aim higher than Kirk Cousins. Because Kirk Cousins, and on his best day, like Alex Smith, is a B quarterback. Don't you want an A? Don't you want an A-plus quarterback? You win with a quarterback. Look at the last uh, th- uh, three champions. Nick Foles got super hot late. Was incredible. Incredible for that franchise. You needed that kind of quarterback. On Nick Foles' best day, I think he's an A quarterback. Tom Brady, on his best day, obviously he's been an A quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is an A-plus quarterback almost all the time. And the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. You win with quarterbacks. Russell Wilson has a ring. Peyton Manning has two. Tom Brady has six. You need a good quarterback to win. You can you can stack up your chips on defense and have guys like Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer and Brad Johnson win Super Bowls, but those guys got hot. And they had the ability. On their best day, they were big. They were A's on their best days. Kirk Cousins has never been an A quarterback, except when it really, really doesn't matter. In the middle of the season, um, at 1 o'clock, Kirk Cousins is absolutely unstoppable. He looks fantastic. In fact, sometimes you watch Kirk Cousins and you think, that guy looks like a Hall of Famer. I said that once, literally watching Kirk Cousins. This guy looks like he could be a Hall of Famer. And then you see some games and you're like, wow, this guy stinks. They should replace him. If I'm the Vikings, as Kirk Cousins will be 32 years old next year, has one playoff win in eight years in the NFL, 
I have to aim higher. We're good with the Vikings are good with Kirk Cousins. They'll hover around eight to ten wins, maybe even get eleven. But gosh, wouldn't it be great if the Vikings could win a Super Bowl with that roster? They don't have a Super Bowl caliber quarterback right now. The Redskins didn't when they had Kirk Cousins, and the Vikings don't right now. That's what I'm gonna say about Kirk Cousins. This is my plea to the Vikings. Come on, make the right choice. We'll end on this. Um, the Astros have been dominating the news in baseball recently. I'm a big baseball fan. I'll take baseball over basketball and hockey any day. I'll take hockey over basketball. You know, I'll talk some basketball, but it, it's it can get boring sometimes, especially during the regular season and in the, the middle for the NBA regular season. In college basketball, it's really the middle of the season where even upsets aren't that intriguing. Here's the thing with the Astros, and Stephen A. Smith, uh, who is a co-host on ESPN's First Take today, and the last few days has sort of been talking about this, saying that the Astros should be shunned wherever they go and have their title revoked. It's not an exact quote, I'm paraphrasing, but basically saying wherever Houston plays this season... The other team should start the game by metaphorically and literally turning their backs to the Astros, making it known that we don't like that you guys cheated us out of a championship or cheated us out of something more than what we had that season, recognizing the Astros as cheaters. And he's also said, yeah, they should have their title revoked, the players should all give their World Series rings back, and... Look, I don't see anything wrong with any of that. I 100% agree because I think that the Houston Astros are dirty, rotten cheaters. And if you watch the show and you know me, you know I'm a diehard fan of the Nationals who won the World Series this past season. It makes me so happy to know that my team was the team to take down the mighty Astros in the World Series prevent them from winning a second title in three years. That, that, now they wouldn't even have one tainted title. They would have two tainted titles. Now everyone says, oh, the Yankees, five titles from a couple decades ago are tainted because they use steroids. Listen, the steroids era was bad. Okay, it, it, play, Barry Bond's forehead grew like 20 inches or something. He looked like a freak after he took steroids. Here's the difference between the steroid era and this era, the cheating scandal with stealing signs. Steroids, they make you stronger. They turn doubles and triples into measure stick home runs. Okay, guys were hitting like 15 to 20 more home runs than they usually would. A lot less, a lot more doubles and triples than singles because they were on the roids. They were just naturally more powerful hitters when they had steroids. They still have to hit those balls, though. Every pitch that comes, they had to hit it. They had to hit a 99-mile-per-hour pitch without the knowledge that, oh, this pitch is going to be right down the middle, or this pitch is going to be in the dirt, or this pitch is going to be outside on a curve. Steroids users didn't know where the pitch location was, which made their jobs harder. Okay, 
Steroids might have turned a couple of 300 hitters into 330 hitters, but not crazy. Their splits weren't that different. Their home runs went up. Their averages changed a little bit, but their home runs and their RBIs went way up because of steroids. Yes. And you could say the Yankees won because of the steroids. You can have that opinion. I was too young for that. This is the difference with this scandal. You know, the sign-stealing scandal of the Astros. When you place technology in your stadium at Minute Maid Park, when you put technology up that literally you can see which pitch is coming based on catcher signs, that is one of the ultimate forms of cheating in sports. When you, It's like Spygate. When the Patriots uh, filmed uh, Jets practice back in 2007 or whenever that happened, you knew that when you play the game, you know exactly what's coming. Now, the coach can go back the rest of that week after practice and change things up when they're playing the Patriots. But with the Astros, this was happening in-game. Banging on trash cans, whistling. Players knew when a pitch was coming in the dirt. I never really watched the Astros until uh, my Nats played them in the World Series. And I remember watching the World Series and thinking, wow. They are so patient. They take every outside pitch. They're so pa- I'm like, how do you how do you coach that? That's incredible. I remember thinking they they have to be the most patient hitters in the history of baseball. They're so patient. I, I don't know how they lose. I was legitimately thinking as good as Max Scherzer is and as good as Steven Strasburg is and Patrick Corbin these guys, these guys are not taking any crap. No curveball is going to fake these guys out. Come to find out later, oh, they knew exactly what was coming. That's why they were patient. Every pitch was outside, and that's the difference. You get more walks. You get more base hits and home runs because you know what's coming. If you know you got a fastball right down the middle, bombs away. But if you know it's going to be outside, then let's let's hold it. Four straight curveballs? Yeah, I'll take a four-pitch walk. This is the problem. And this is why Yankees fans and Dodgers fans have plenty of reason to be upset towards the Astros because they're dirty, rotten cheaters. And they have had such a horrible attitude about it here in the first week of spring training. It's laughable. Rob Manfred's had a bad week. Rob Manfred, I think, should have suspended some of the players. Jose Altuve, I don't know if he's wearing a buzzer or not. There's not enough evidence for me. I know the whole post game after hitting that home run off Aroldis Chapman was that enough. I don't know. I, more needs to come out for me to believe that. Suspend Altuve. Suspend Alex Bregman. Suspend Carlos Correa. Whoever you want to suspend. Suspend Justin Verlander if you want to. Suspend them, whoever you need, to make it as hard as it possibly can be to keep the Astros from making it into the playoffs next year. Because if you keep Altuve, Bregman, and Correa, or even guys like George Springer in the lineup, they're going to be thrown at. That's just the way it is. Rob Manfred said, I'm going to find ways to keep them from getting hit. Too bad. That's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you get hit. And sometimes you deserve to get it. 
<clears throat> That's what I would say. If you want to avoid people getting hit and you want it to be justified, suspend some players. Suspend them 30 to 50 games. Whatever, whatever it takes to keep Houston away from the playoffs, because if they make the playoffs next year, there's going to be hell to raise. People are going to be rioting when the Astros make it to the playoffs this year and have a chance to win another World Series. Trust me, even if they lose Zach Granke, people are, not Granke, uh, Garrett Cole, um, people are going to be outraged. You gotta, you gotta find a way, Rob Manfred, to get, to keep the Astros from making it to the playoffs next year. If you really want there to be order and balance in the major leagues, people saying, "Oh, this is bad for baseball." No, it's not. People are talking about baseball everywhere now, and it's the first week of spring training. This doesn't pick up until it gets closer to opening day, and people are talking about this. This is great for baseball. This will boil over just like it did with the steroids and just like it did with all the lock, lockouts in the NHL and just like it did with the whole China stuff this past summer with the NBA and just like it did with all the Patriot scandals in the NFL and all the concussions problems. People watch sports because they want to watch it. No scandal is going to seriously make people stop watching baseball. That's my thoughts on the Astros. That's all my thoughts for this episode. Uh, tune in tomorrow and we will go over some of the uh new things in the nba uh tonight the capitals the washington capitals play the montreal canadians the quest for 700 goals for alex ovechkin continues he has been held scoreless in five straight uh i think that's correct i could be wrong but tonight on nbc sports washington's first puck drop at seven o'clock capitals and Canadians at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. Quest for 700 continues for Alex Ovechkin. Um, that's all we have for you today. Uh, I'm your host, Jacob Valier. You have been listening to The Jadava Show.